0: This is High Stakes, from Gerard, Phillips, Kate, and Hancock.
1: Welcome back to High Stakes. I'm David Schifrin, and having another conversation today with PYA. Today, we're speaking with Marty Ross, who is the office managing principal in their Kansas City office. Here, we're going to talk about the CARES Act and what's happening around stimulus funds and, and how providers should be thinking about that. So looking forward to this conversation, Marty. Thanks for taking the time. I know you're swamped with everything, but great to talk to you again.
0: My no, pleasure to be here. Thank you.
1: So um, always good to set the stage, make sure everybody's on the same page here. It, within the, the stimulus funds that have been uh, approved so far, there's about $100 billion for providers. Everybody I think is pretty familiar with that. So has anything come out of that, any nuances that people might not be aware of that they should be?
0: Um, The two programs that came out of the gate the quickest were the Paycheck Protection Program and the Medicare Advance Payments. Um, The PPP is an opportunity for companies with fewer than 500 employees to secure financing through an SBA 7A loan. Up to ten million dollars. It's been enormously popular. It had some hiccups as you would expect on day one, two, and three, uh, but they are quickly exhausting the 349 billion. And Congress is already talking about using more cash. So that's number one. Number two is the Medicare advance payments, where a Medicare participant can submit a one-page application to their Medicare administrative contractor, and if it's a hospital, they're going to get up to six months of their historical Medicare revenue deposited in their bank account. If it's a physician practice, it's three months. Um, it's not a it's it's a loan and it's going to be paid back through recoupment. So for a period of time, you'll have this doll these dollars available to you without interest. But then after four months, the government starts recouping by withholding payments on subsequent claims. It, it's a gamble. Certainly, you are trading present liquidity for future revenue, but we suspect that if the crisis continues, Congress will again step in and provide relief. The last thing they want is to have providers go belly up in these circumstances. Uh, The other program everyone is looking at is the Marshall Plan, uh, which is the $100 billion fund available for healthcare providers. It's intended, it's not, it is grant dollars, it is not loans. Um, And it's a question of how that's going to be allocated. So we have two insights thus far. Last Friday, Secretary Azar stated that they would be using those funds to compensate providers to provide treatment for COVID-19 patients. Previously, other earlier legislation provided coverage for uninsured testing. Um, This is taking the next step and to provide coverage for actual treatment. So that's number one. Number two, is a statement by Seema Burma. She made a statement during Wednesday's press briefing that they were going to take $30 billion out of that money and send it out to providers based on their historical Medicare volume. That's it. And subsequently, there'd be more programs, but absolutely nothing official coming out of CMS on this. I mean, literally, it is two lines in the transcript uh, from this press briefing
1: in the absence of clarity from the federal government, is there anything that providers can be doing now, uh, to help stabilize, or is it just kind of, you know, hold well, on tight?
0: But if I was, you know, I, I you know, there's nothing probably scarier than having, uh, an idle medical community. Uh, cause you've got high end specialists who have been shut down from doing procedures and obviously frustrated in that circumstance. But now, as hard as it is to get your your mind around this, now is the time to do some planning, is what does happen when the electives come back online. You've got a huge backlog that's growing every day. How are we going to titrate? And which go first? Which are the most critical? And that needs to be decisions made locally. No one should be dictating that. It should be medical staffs working with hospital administration, or, you know, Ambulatory Surgery Center administrations and saying, let's talk through this. And how do we, how are we logically going to do this? Second thing they should be doing is, no one wants to go to the doctor's office now. So you've got to figure out how to provide those services via telehealth. Um, And it's going to take a lot of patient outreach, especially with your older patients. They're going to be challenged by it. Um, CMS has been great in reducing, relaxing the rules and providing reimbursement where Fingers crossed that commercials will follow suit. they are always a few steps behind where Medicare is on policy. But figure out either how to do audiovisual, which are true telehealth visits reimbursed the same rate as a face-to-face visit for Medicare purposes, or even just do telephone visits because there is lower reimbursement available, but at least it's something to cover time uh, in those circumstances. So those are your options in terms of immediate control the, the bleeding at this point. And of course, you know, secure what you can through paycheck protection and advanced payments. I think that's our formula. It's a pretty simple formula right now, but we certainly keep our eye on it to see what we can add to it. So there,
1: there's so much happening and providers are dealing with all these competing pressures. And 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 meanwhile, the media and the public are looking at this too, trying to figure out what's going on. And they're asking questions certainly of the government, but also of individual providers and facilities. So is, is there anything in terms of scrutiny that that we should expect when it comes to these funds and kind of the way things are moving around um, and how people are perceiving uh, the whole system right now?
0: The two programs that are online now, Paycheck Protection Program and Advanced Payments have built-in regulators because Triple P, you're only gonna get that loan forgiven if you spend it in the way specified in in the SBA guidance. And with Advanced Payment, going to pay it back by withholding future payments where it's going to get dicey is when dollars start showing up that are not specifically tied to a program so what happens when you open up your bank account and there's two million dollars that cms has deposited there um, and how will we be accountable for those monies? certainly if i was a provider i would be prepared to tell the story of how that money was spent to maintain access to care. I'm sure every healthcare provider has a lot of needs, infrastructure needs, staffing needs, and having the available dollars now presents a great deal of temptation. Um, But I think those dollars should be viewed as access to care dollars. Now, what does that mean? Um, It certainly means the response to COVID-19 and doing what you, what's necessary in terms of making testing available, providing hotlines, paying staff hazard pay if appropriate, securing PPE as necessary. Sure, that's gonna be your frontline usage of those dollars, but it's also going to be, you know, how are we using those dollars to provide access to normal care? So investments in telehealth, investments in outreach programs and the like, you're gonna wanna spend those dollars wisely. Let's not put a black eye with any allegations or charges that those funds are misappropriated, that just means be prepared to tell your story. This is what compliance officers should be doing right now in healthcare organizations, is saying, I'm here to document our story. So if any questions are raised after the fact about what we did, we'll have the contemporaneous notes that tell our story.
1: That's really interesting because it, we just said about compliance. So it's not just checking the boxes to make sure that the rules were followed. It's being able to tell that in the larger context Um, i think it's a really important note
0: yeah brand new world for most compliance officers is to become the storyteller um but it will and getting yourself in the room so you know what the story is that that's going to be the only vehicle by which you're going to be able to answer charges in the future that something was misappropriated you took advantage of something and we just can't take those reputational hits enough there
1: Anything around charity care uh, here? Because I know I've seen some articles about questions about what the money's being used for, uh, anything for people to be aware of or, or, again, any of the scrutiny around that.
0: Oh, wow. That, there are so many levels there. Well, we can expect, uh, apparently, some of the dollars out of the Marshall Fund to cover the costs uh, for COVID care for uninsured individuals. One thing that the CARES Act did was delay some pretty substantial cuts and Medicaid disproportionate share payments to hospitals. Um, so to so talk about insult to injury, you're seeing these increased volumes at the same time that those very important dish funds start disappearing. So that's been delayed, that's, that's good news. Another component is private philanthropy. We have a lot of incredibly effective healthcare foundations in the United States that are really They are the frontline band-aids for providers as they have needs um, that they can respond quickly. Most foundations have something called payout obligations because these foundations are supported by large endowments and they draw out a certain number of dollars a year um, to meet what are called payout requirements under the IRS rules, roughly 5% of their corpus. Most foundations are saying, to hell with that. We're gonna spend as much of our dollars as we need to right now. At the same time, they're they're found, they're found seeing their corpuses diminish because of what's going on in the stock market. These foundations are stepping up and it's just they're great stories in, in city after city of what they're doing to take dollars and immediately, because they, they are so close to the local community, they can plug those dollars in where needed far more effectively than what CMS can try to accomplish. And so I guess I would add that to my list of things healthcare providers should be doing um, is looking for those opportunities to partner with local philanthropy, both to help their patients directly, but also to meet their needs and
1: providing. Care. Great. So, last question from me, Marty. Um, just kind of pulling all this together, you've got you've you've given a lot of really great practical tips for what providers should be doing. If you could just distill down into top two or three very specific things that uh, the C-suite of a hospital or a health system. Should be doing, should be thinking about right at this moment uh, to help position themselves for for survival now and success on the back end.
0: Uh, take care of your medical staff, both your employed physicians and the independent physicians who are part of your team. Communicate with them, listen to their concerns, help them secure what funding's available to support their practices. Um, help them figure out how to continue serving their patients. In a circumstance where those patients don't want to come to the office engage them in how we're going to restart the system when that opportunity finally presents itself I think that's just that's got to be job one absolute job one is engage with that medical staff they are your health system right now um, secondly is I'd be man you know you've got staffing issues you've got nursing staff that's under incredible pressure right now. Uh, Again, talking with them, talking with the leaders and your nursing leaders, figuring out what supports they need. You know, if it's, if it's child care, if it's family care, if it's shift differential payments, whatever it takes to get that done. Um, And third, it's, it's pay attention to the financials. Be sure that you're documenting uh, what's happening in your system. You know, what is the impact of the loss of electives? Um, so that you're prepared to take care of, you're, you're immediately prepared to jump on opportunities and bring in those dollars necessary. So I think that's my, my short and sweet.
1: Great. Well, Marty Ross, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for your time and your insight. Um, let's see, pyapc.com is the website. Where else should folks go to find out more about you, more about the, the work that you do and, and how you all can help them through this time?
0: So the website has a COVID hub. We're not a news service, um, so we try to always go a step further on what does this really mean. So that's what we try to do with our written thought leadership. We've done a number of webinars. All of those are available on demand. And then at the bottom of our COVID hub is by attempt to get through the noise and find the really relevant documents to do that. So you don't end up having to shift through pages and pages and pages of CMS and HHS and OCRs and everybody else's websites um, just to find the documents just in time
1: thanks again Marty stay safe all the best to you and uh we'll get through this
0: absolutely back at you David thanks so much
1: thanks